like to welcome everyone this morning, and if you're a guest today, we are so happy to have you in service with us today. Thank you for being here. If you're watching us online today, we pray that you're blessed by this service today. God touches you where you are. And I know I see some folks that are here for the meeting this week. Pause. We welcome you. It's good to have you today. Great. Glad that you're going to be able to be here this week and be a part of what God is going to do. Amen. I'm going to read from two passages this morning as we begin. The first is going to be Acts chapter 9. I will begin with verse 1. And then we're going to go to Philippians 3. Verse number 10, Acts 9 and verse 1, the scripture says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. And just in case somebody may not know this, Saul here is the man that is more so known now as Paul. And verse number 2, And desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, any Christians, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. So at this point of his life, Saul is against the follower of Jesus. And uh, he's not just mentally against it. He is, he is going and persecuting those who are followers of Jesus. And that's the context of the, the permission he is asking, the letters that he is asking for. Verse number 3 says, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will you have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, And go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And then going to Philippians chapter number 3, the one that we just read about is now the one whose words we will read. Paul says in verse number 10, that I may know Him. That I may know Him. Not that I may know about Him. But that I may know Him. And the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. It's not the message this morning, but I just, let me pause especially if you've yet to really decide to give your life to Jesus Christ. Becoming a Christian, giving your life to Jesus Christ doesn't mean everything from that point on becomes all wonderful and easy and 
And Paul, Paul kind of gives us the insight to that. He says, I, I want to know Him. I want to know God and the power of His resurrection. But I'm also interested and willing to know Him in the fellowship of His sufferings. Verse number 11. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12 and 13 again, he says, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Actually, I'll just stop there. I want to preach to you this morning for a little bit on this subject apprehended or apprehending are you apprehended not a word we use on a daily basis or are you apprehending father thank you so much for your presence that we have experienced in this place today thank you for your spirit that has been ministering throughout this service this morning Lord, we may not be consciously aware, we may not know everything you've done, but we believe that you have worked and moved already in this place today. And I pray, God, that you would continue ministering this morning, and that now you would do that through your word. Let your word minister to the hearts and lives that are in this place today. Lord, don't let this just be a sermon because it's a part of what we do in a service, but I pray that it would be a message that would come from you. That people would hear and recognize that you are speaking to them, God. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I trust in you today. I depend upon you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The word apprehended, or apprehend in the Greek, according to Strong's Dictionary, means to take eagerly. It is to seize or to possess. Thayer's Greek lexicon says the word apprehend means to lay hold of. It is to lay hold of so as to make one's own, to obtain, to attain to. It is to seize upon. It's to take possession of. I don't know of a more dramatic, not just in Scripture, but throughout history. I do not know of a more dramatic conversion experience than the one the Apostle Paul had that we just read about in Acts chapter 9. 
on his way to Damascus, and, and, and suddenly there is this light shining around him from heaven, and Saul falls to the ground, and then there is this voice that speaks to him, and, and this conversation takes place between him and the Lord. I, I don't know of a, of a more dramatic experience than that. There are some of you in this place that have, I've heard your testimony of, of how you came to where you are in your faith in God and your walk with God. And, and there were some supernatural things that were a part of that process. And, and, but again, I, I've never quite heard of another story like Paul's. I, 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 to be honest with you, I kind of, it, it frustrates me a little bit. Because if God would do that to everybody, we wouldn't have, a tr- we wouldn't have problems trying to reach the world. If everybody saw a bright light and heard a voice and fell down to the ground, I'm pretty sure everybody would probably respond and do what Paul did. But again, I don't know of another one like it. I've heard some amazing testimonies, and and I've heard some other fairly dramatic testimonies, if you will, but I would venture to say the majority of you sitting here today that you have been converted, you've been born again, your story probably doesn't measure up to Paul's. I, I think I've tried through the years, and especially in preparing for this message this morning, I've, I've tried to wrap my brain a little bit about, around why would God do that for Paul, and he doesn't really do that on a regular basis. The only thing I can sort of come to terms with, and I'm not saying this is the answer, but the only thing I can sort of come to terms with was Paul had such a significant place in the kingdom and and his purpose was such that God went to some extremes to get a hold of his life. And possibly God also knew that if he didn't do something quite that dramatic, Paul wouldn't pay attention. So actually it might be somewhat of a compliment to those of you that don't have a dramatic story for conversion. It was just a gentle knock on your heart and you recognized it and responded to it. Maybe God knew you weren't quite as hard-headed as Saul was. Nevertheless, we don't come to God by our initiation. I've heard people say, and maybe some of you have said it, I don't know offhand of any of you, so I'm not shooting at anyone, but it's common phraseology amongst people who, who, are, who get saved that they say, I found Jesus. You didn't find Jesus. Jesus wasn't lost. You were lost. Jesus wasn't lost. So if anybody got found, you got found. Because the scripture tells us in John 6 and 44, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. I know some of us may think, well, I got here all on my own. It was no, 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 no. You may not have had a light and a voice from heaven, but God was drawing. God was pulling on you. 
Jeremiah 31 and verse 3, the prophet says something similar to what Jesus said in John 6, 44, Jeremiah 31, 3. The Lord hath appeared of, of, of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Paul says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us is a sinner in need of a Savior. It doesn't matter if you've been raised in a moral good home. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible says, Paul also says that the wages of sin is death. I tell you today, I believe with all of my heart, there is a literal heaven and a literal hell. There is life after death. You will spend eternity someplace. When you die and are buried or cremated, that's not the end. That's really only the beginning of the real end. And I would venture to say the fact that you're in this place today is because you have some level of faith that there is something after death. You may not fully understand it. You may not, you may not be able to articulate it from the Scripture, but you believe there's more to this than just this life. According to Scripture, we're going to spend eternity in either heaven or hell. And how we live and our obedience to the Word of God is going to be the thing that determines where we spend eternity. And I'm I'm sorry to tell you this today. I wish I could confirm this. But there is no place you go after death that you earn your way out of there to get to heaven. The Bible says, as a tree falls, so shall it lie. The condition you are in when you die is the condition that determines your eternity. But all of that being said, it's, it's so amazing to me that God does not come to us with a club and beat us into this. And rarely does God approach us with fear. The Bible says in the book of Jude, there's only one, one chapter in the book of Jude and, Jude, and the Bible says in that one chapter that, that some are saved by fear. They're motivated by fear to get saved and others are saved by love. But the bottom line is the majority of the time God uses love and the prophet, the word of the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah is with loving kindness have I drawn thee. If you're a guest today, maybe this is your first time in a church like this, can I tell you today, it doesn't matter what you've done in your life. It doesn't matter what sins you've committed. It doesn't matter what mistakes you've made. There is a God who is drawing with loving kindness. And God's first reaction is forgiveness, not judgment. If God executes judgment, it's because somebody hasn't responded to mercy. Oh, hallelujah. I'm not even really at the message yet. Maybe I won't get there, but I think God's talking to somebody this morning. If God executes judgment, again, it's because He's been trying to show mercy. I I know, you know, when it comes to parenting, we all have different 
philosophies or some similarities. And I, I know some of you are of the, of the parental philosophy, uh, and, or when maybe you don't have small children anymore, but when you had small children, your, your deal was, I speak once and you better obey. And if you don't obey the first time, you're getting, you're getting hammered. Whatever discipline method you use, that was it. Well, I'm going to tell you, and I think at this point with my youngest being 18 years old, he was, if you're a guest, he's the one that was on the keyboard this morning, and all of his other siblings are very involved in church and ministry. I think my philosophy worked okay. But I didn't always give one word of correction and then discipline. There was some times I said, you need to stop. And they kept going. You need to stop now. I think I told this story somewhere recently. One of those wonderful memories I will never forget. We were sitting at the table, and uh, I think at that point we had three. um, We had four kids in six years, so the eldest was... I think Elizabeth was about five, and Esther was a couple of years old, and then we had Timothy, I think, was an infant. We were sitting at the table one evening having dinner, and I don't remember what Esther was doing, but she was doing something that she really shouldn't be doing, but it was funny. So the first couple of times she did it, we all kind of laughed. Sorry, just because you're married, that doesn't mean you no longer get used in my messages. And, 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 you know, we were laughing. My wife and I were laughing. Elizabeth was probably laughing. We were laughing, and after a time or two, I start, Esther, stop. She did it again, and guess what I did again? I laughed. And I said, stop again. She did it again, and I laughed again. After a couple of times of that, I said, I will spank you while I'm laughing. <laughs> it's funny, but that doesn't mean it's okay. I got to tell you, I think that's the way the Heavenly Father deals with us. In fact, the fact that you're all sitting here this morning is proof that that's how. Because if He would have dealt with you first strike and you're out, there's not one of us that could be here today. But can I tell you, it is with loving kindness that He draws you. And when you're feeling Him drawing you, you don't have to come to Him with your head bowed in shame and embarrassment over what you've done. Because the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, I'm going to paraphrase this, but the Bible tells us that we have a God that is touched by what we feel. And He understands that we are humans and we are frail and we make mistakes. In fact, that's really kind of the underlying message of this whole book is that God knows our humanity however he made a way oh hallelujah 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 God draws God draws and he draws with loving kindness I guess back to kind of where I thought I was going at least until the next rabbit trail I, I, I said it, I mean it. As a pastor, I wish God would visit every 
home in Anne Arundel County with a bright light and a voice from heaven. I don't mean that so that we wouldn't have to work. or do, I don't mean, I mean because people need Jesus. People need, people need salvation. And he doesn't do that, and, and I struggle sometimes with why not, but here's what the Scripture says. No matter how dramatic it is, whether it's a bright light and a voice from heaven, it's a dream and, or, or, or some other experience. I don't know if anybody here today, but I've heard of people that they've had dreams in which God got their attention. But John 1 and 9 says this, that was the true light. Notice what he says, it lighteth every man that cometh into the, how many men? Every. Paul said something similar in Titus 2 and 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. I'm going to be honest with you this morning. I don't know that I can fully explain that because, you know, I don't understand when you talk about biblical principles. I don't understand why people always want to go to the extreme example. So you tell somebody, here's what the Word of God says. Here's what you've got to do to be saved. And somebody wants to know, well, what about the guy that lives in the Amazon jungle that's never had a Bible and never heard about Jesus? So you want to go to the extreme example to give you an excuse for not surrendering and submitting to the Word of God. However, if the Word of God is true, and I don't say that out of doubt, I say that rhetorically, if the Word of God is true, even that argument holds no weight. Because John said, the light has shined in every man, and Paul says the grace of God has appeared to all men. I would acknowledge the problem is it doesn't always appear or happen in the same dramatic way as it did with Paul. But that doesn't negate the fact that the Spirit of the Lord somehow is tugging and pulling at the heart of every human being. Just had a conversation, I don't remember the exact place, location, who it was, but a conversation with somebody recently. I'm sorry, but there is no such thing as a person that is born an atheist. No such thing. No one is born an atheist. I have watched children for decades in the presence of God, three and four year olds, with no ability to comprehend Scripture and what the Bible says, but I've seen them respond to the presence of God and I've watched as tears begin to flow down the face of that child that had no ability to intellectually understand, but there was something inside of them that recognized there is a God. I may not be able to explain Him at this point. I may not have some great theological foundation, but it is within us to believe and most of the time in the life of a person that that claims to be an atheist it doesn't take much to find some event that did not go the way they wanted or some kind of pain or hurt 
the loss of a loved one, some kind of an abuse. And the response to that was, if there's a God, how could he have allowed this? So there must not be a God. But somehow, according to the word of the Lord, the grace of God appears to all men. And I believe with everything in me, if you're sitting here today, it's because you have been apprehended. You may not have come into this place today with somebody twisting your arm and forcing you in here. Another one of my parenting philosophies was, it's a whole lot easier if I can get my kids to do what I want them to do, but they think it's what they want to do and they're doing. I, I've done that as long as I've been parenting. I've still done that with young adult children in my house. If you want to go stomping your foot down, because bless God, you're the mom or the dad, and you're in charge, and you can do that, and they may they may actually obey, but it's probably going to drive a wedge. We're all over the map this morning. And so if I can get you to where I think you ought to be now, yeah, sure, there comes some times where it's, okay, I tried. You're not cooperating, so... But they usually have a much better attitude when it's their choice. Some great free advice here this morning. So I'm not saying you got here today because you were so aware. In fact, I would, I would actually tell you that that's just a part of the demonstration of how amazing God is. That He's able to get you to where He wants to get you, but He doesn't have to strong arm you. And force you. And so, so Saul is on this road to Damascus doing one thing with one intent, with, with one goal in mind. And it's on this road that he gets apprehended. God arrests him. But the question is, what do we do with being apprehended. Because being apprehended is only the start. And you and I can choose to not try to apprehend what we were apprehended for. What I read to you in Philippians was the change that had taken place in Saul. And he had become Paul. And now he's saying, there was something that arrested me on the road to Damascus. But now what arrested me on the road to Damascus, I am arresting it. What God was getting my attention for, I'm now getting a hold of that. Because it's now become what I want. It's now become what I can't live without. And I challenge some people here today. God has apprehended you. But somehow you've got to decide, am I just going to be apprehended or am I going to apprehend? Because until you make up your mind, I'm going to go after what God has for me, you will never fully get what God has for you. 
Brother Lewis, Brother Lewis called me the other day. He was out on the side of the highway with his sign. Somebody called the cops on him, and cops showed up. He had conversations, ended up with, sound like about the whole precinct. Not really. But interest, he said he prayed, God, send me somebody that's hungry. In the course of his conversations with one of those police officers, one of them expressed he was hungry. But Brother Lewis told him, he told all those officers, he said, come to my church and you'll see why I'm doing what I do. And, and here's the thing, especially if you're a guest today, and especially if it's your first time to ever be in this kind of a church. If it hasn't already crossed your mind, it probably will at some point. These people are crazy. And, and the other common thought is, if I get out of here alive, I'll never, now you may not have thought that yet today because really we've been pretty mellow, pretty laid back. But, but when you see us act in those ways, and you go, man, I don't, they're, I don't know what's wrong with him. I would never do that. And if I get out of here, I'm never coming back. You see, what you don't know is this. The very people that you're looking at that are making you think that thought the same thing. They're, they thought that, what, and I will never do that. I'll never act like that. I'll, I'll never be that. And now they don't just do it. They're crazy when they do it. Why? Because they apprehended what they were apprehended for. It's not good enough for God to get a hold of you. you got to reach back and get a hold of God and say, I want everything you've got for me, nothing less. If it's available, I want it. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are miracles Jesus did that He initiated. There are some. But if I'm not mistaken from my recollection, there were more miracles that Jesus did in response to the individual that needed it than the ones that He initiated. So if you're sitting back waiting on God to do everything, then you're not going to get everything God has. At some point, you've got to respond to what has apprehended you and decide, I've got to have this. I, I can't have... This is not about just checking off the box of a religious activity. I'm not here today. I'm not personally. I'm not here today just because I'm the pastor and I've got to go through religious obligations. I'm here today because I learned a long time ago when I get in an atmosphere like this, God is able to do anything. He can heal sickness. He can deliver addictions. He can save souls. Anything is possible. But he only goes so far. 
until you've got to decide. Paul said, I'm going to, I'm, I will apprehend. I'm going to go after what has gone after me. There's a story in the book of Genesis about Jacob and seen something a little differently lately than how I think I initially and or really have always thought of it and perhaps you as well but in Genesis chapter 32 and verse number 24 there is an encounter that Jacob has with an angel and the Bible says and Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. The New Living Translation says, verse 24, like this, this left, Jake, this left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. The easy-to-read version says, Jacob was left alone, and a man came and wrestled with him. The man fought with him until the sun came up. The thing I think I have always thought about this was that Jacob initiated the wrestling match. But according to this, Jacob did not initiate the wrestling match. This manifestation of the presence of God was trying to get a hold of Jacob. There was something in Jacob. There was something about Jacob that was being apprehended. And so, we've always kind of, and in just a moment I'll read to you the part that is positive about Jacob, but Jacob did not initiate, God initiated. Again, you're not here today because you decided to come. You're not here today because somebody invited you and you decided to come. You're here because God initiated. Verse number 25 says, and when he, that's the, that's the man that was wrestling with Jacob. When he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And so, again, in verse 24, it was this man, this angel that initiated the wrestling match. But watch what happens in verse 26. Jacob now says, or excuse me, the angel says, let me go for the day breaketh. But Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. You started it. You started this fight. But I'm going to finish it. Because you got something I want. You've got something I need. Can I tell somebody in this place today, if between now and we leave this place, you would make up your mind. God, you started this, and you've got something that I need, and I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care what anybody says. I will get what you have for me. If you'll do that and not worry about everybody else I promise you you can get what you need today say well what if I reach out to God and he doesn't respond oh this book is full of guarantees that if you'll reach out to him he will respond 
In Jeremiah, he said, when you search for me with all of your heart, you will find me. If you think you've searched for him and you haven't found him yet, it's not because he's rejected you. It's because you haven't searched for him with everything. Because he promises, when you get serious about finding me, when you make up your mind, you've got to have me. You're going to find me. But I need to know how serious you are. I need to know that this is not just a give or take thing. Well, if I can get it, great. If not, I'm okay without it. When you make up your mind, God, I can't live without you. I can't live without what you have for me. I can't live without your purpose in my life being fulfilled. The promise is you're going to find Him. See, I, I hate to tell you, honestly, I do, but it's not good enough just to be here today. Just because you came today doesn't mean God's going to do something for you. There's a story in the Bible. Jesus was in the midst of a crowd. And there was a woman, the Bible says, she had had a sickness for 12 years. And she had tried every physician she could. She tried everything she could to get over to get healing and nothing worked and so she's in this crowd this day and Jesus is in this crowd of people and the Bible says she made up her mind if I can just touch the hem of his garment I don't need him to speak to me I don't need him to initiate anything I don't need him to acknowledge me if I can just reach out and touch the perimeter of his clothes I will be made whole The Bible says she began to press her way through the crowd. She didn't care what anybody thought. She didn't care if she stepped on toes. She didn't care. You ever been someplace in public, it was crowded, and somebody's pushing their way through, and you get knocked to the side, and something rises up inside of you, and you're ready to... You're ready to pray for them. I'm pretty sure there were some people like that because there were some people that had come there, no doubt, with their, you know, their, their, uh, their, uh, their, their, their stature, their, um, what am I looking for, reputation, their, you know, their status. She probably pushed a few of them out of the way. She probably stepped on a few of their toes and they probably thought, who do you think you are? What are you doing? She finally gets to Jesus and she reaches out and touches the hem of His garment. And when she does, Jesus stops. And He turns around and He asks a question that was a crazy question. In fact, the disciples respond to the question in a way that says it was a a dumb question. Because Jesus responds and says, Who touched me? The disciples were saying, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's, you got people bumping into you all over the place. Everybody's touching you. But you see, there was something different in the touch of the person who's trying to apprehend something. Curiosity is not enough. There's a bunch of people, especially with an apostolic church, you came the first time out of curiosity. You heard about it, so you just... But curiosity is not enough. At some point, you've got to make up your mind. I've come to get something. 
And Jesus responds and says, somebody just touched me and virtue, power went out from me. And in that moment she was healed. Had she not made up her mind, I'm going to get what is available. She would have continued to live with her sickness. Sometimes you got to make up your mind. I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I don't care if I look crazy. I don't care if I act crazy. I know what Jesus can do. And I've got to get what I need. Jacob says, you may have started this, God, but I'm going to finish it. I wonder if there's anybody here today that can recognize, you know what, God, you started something in my life, but I'm not going to let go of it. I'm not, gonna, I'm not just going to say, you know, if you do more, great. If not, so, so be it. There's something that's rising up inside of me that says, I'm going to take a hold of what took a hold of me. Kind of reminds me of, in a football game, especially a college or professional game, you can watch. Sometimes they're called penalty for holding. Sometimes what you see is it's not one guy holding the other guy. Actually, both guys have gotten a hold of each other. God's going to reach out and get a hold of you. But at some point, you got to decide, I'm getting a hold of you. I'm not going to let you go. I'm not letting you out of my sight. There's another story about a man, blind man, by the name of Bartimaeus. The Bible says he was sitting on the side of the road one day and he can't see but he hears some commotion and he hears a crowd and he realizes somehow he finds out that Jesus is in that crowd. Jesus was in the middle of all the religious people. Because watch, you can see how religious people respond. There's a difference between religious people and hungry people. Because the Bible says as Jesus got closer to Bartimaeus, rather than Bartimaeus sitting there with his fingers crossed, oh, I hope he sees me. I hope he stops and heals me. The Bible says he begins to cry out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And the people that weren't trying to apprehend says, be quiet. Settle down. Don't disrupt Jesus. Don't disrupt what's going on. And the Bible says that when they tried to silence him, rather than him silencing, he decided to get even louder. And he cries out the more, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. At some point, you've got to decide which is more important, your pride or your need. Because if you let your pride rule, Jesus may walk on by and you not get what you need. But if you decide, I need something and He can do what I need and I will not miss this moment, you can get what you need. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. 
you know, I know it's Sunday morning and, you know, we got guests and all that, but this isn't to the guests. This is more so to those of you that are part of it. The problem is the longer I preach this message, the more discouraging it gets. Because there's a difference between your clapping and responding to what I'm saying versus some of you that need something. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you sit back down. I know somebody said, well, he's preaching to the guests this morning. No, no, hopefully, hopefully, yeah, but not just the guests. I'm preaching to some of you religious people. You know, let, let me tell you all, for those of you that may be guests and new to all this, here's, let me tell you a secret. I shouldn't tell you the secret. Here's what, let me tell you a secret. There are some people that are familiar with all this. They're a part of all, claim to be. And when they see people do what's been done here this morning and take off running and other things we do, they go, oh, Lord, please, not this morning. Especially if you have a guest with you. Oh, Lord, please, please don't let anybody run today. Please don't let everybody have a Holy Ghost fit today. Please, please, please don't let anybody do this. Please don't let anybody do that. You know what that, you know who does that? The religious. That's what the religious do. But for those that always remember, I'm a sinner saved by grace. So I can't become too dignified because there's always going to be something I need. I never outgrow my need for Him. I never get to the point where I don't need Him anymore. There's always something I need and there's always something I've got to go after. Oh, hallelujah. Genesis chapter 12, verse number 1, last passage. Now the Lord said to Abram, here's Abraham, what we, who we call Abraham now, his name originally was Abram. Here's, here's Abram going about his life, doing his own thing. Just living life. But seemingly out of nowhere, the Lord says to Abram, here is the apprehending. Here is the moment of Abraham being apprehended. The Lord speaks to Abram and says, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you will be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. If it would have stopped right there with Abram just saying, Hey, that sounds great, but I'm going to keep living my life. He would have never received the fulfillment. And in fact, the fulfillment of this promise continues on today. Verse number 4 says this, So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. And Lot went with him, and Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. I want you to notice this. In verse number 1, he says, I, I want you to get 
out of your country, your kindred. I want, to, I want you to get out of your comfort zone. I, I want you to get out of what you're familiar with. We all have our comfort zone. We all have what we are from, and, we, and we, that's where, you know, there's people that claim they love change until change happens. And they respond just about the way as the people that are honest about not liking change. But here he is in a familiar place. And, and again, notice what the Lord says. He says, I, I want you to leave your country, your kindred, your father's house unto a land that I will show you. You know, they, they say... I don't know, I'm assuming people really did it. or. But years ago, you know, people would go out just for a Sunday drive. Just go out and drive for a while. Ma and Paul would hop in the car and just go drive around, look at the countryside, look at the... Let me tell you something. The only people that go on a Sunday afternoon drive for the scenery are the billionaires. Because most of us can't afford to just drive to drive. I saw a meme the other day that said something along the lines of, I like gas prices that were more like academic probate, probation. We got these honors gas prices now, 3.5, 3.8, yeah. You don't, you don't get in the car and just go someplace to go. It's too expensive. If you're going to get in the car and go someplace, it's because you have a destination. But the Lord says to Abraham, I want you to go to a place that I will show you. You don't go to BWI and walk around the terminal for a while and decide, you know what, I'm going to hop on that plane. You get on the plane that you know the intended destination. But if Abraham would have waited and said, Okay, God, I'll go, but i got to have more than just what you're going to show me. I need to know the specifics of where I'm going. I need to know that if I get out of my comfort zone, if I leave what I'm familiar with, I need a guarantee Holy Ghost is talking to somebody. I know we're not jumping and screaming anymore, but somebody needs to hear me. i got to have it all spelled out. If Abraham would have responded that way, he would have never experienced the fulfillment. But God apprehended him and says, Abraham, there's a place I want to take you. There's uncertainty. There's going to be changes. There's going to be things you don't know what's going to happen, how it's going to happen. But I just need you to trust me. Because if you will now decide to apprehend, to go out after what has gone after you. I don't lie, Abraham. I don't make promises that I can't keep. So if you will do your part, I will do my part. I want you to stand, please.
There's so many times, at least for me when I preach, when I get to this point of a service, that I do my best to make it as comfortable and convenient as can be. To provide an invitation where you don't have to get out of your comfort zone and you don't have to risk feeling embarrassed. But the problem is, if I did that this morning, I really would be contradicting everything I've just preached. So I wonder, without any big emotion, the worship team might sing in a few moments, but right now, without any big emotion, without any big, without heads bowed and eyes closed and nobody peeking at you, I wonder if there's anybody here today that feels like Paul did. And you say, i got to go after what has already come after me. i got to get a hold of what's gotten a hold of me. Because if there's somebody here like that today, this isn't a moment where we're going to do it conveniently, where we're going to do it as as least awkward as possible. You've got to have something inside of you that says, you know what, I may not have had as dramatic of an experience as Paul did, but I sense, I believe that God is drawing. I believe that the Spirit of God in loving kindness is drawing me, so I'm going to go after what has gone after me I believe there's some people in this place today that you're going to leave here completely different if you will just for the next little while here forget what anybody else does or does not do don't be looking around to see how somebody else is responding if blind Bartimaeus would have done that he wouldn't have got his healing if the woman with the issue of blood had done that she wouldn't have got her healing it's not about what anybody else does right now it's not about any how anybody else does it it's about you making up your mind god you've gone after me but now i gotta go after you i need some altar workers to come and help not every some people need to do this on their own but not everybody has to do this by themselves i need some help right now i don't need you delaying i don't need you praying about it i need you doing it in the name of Jesus. You say, how do I go after him? There's no real formula. There's no certain way. If you can't think of anything else, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I got to have you. There's no religious lingo and terminology that you've got to use. Just express what you feel. Just express your hunger. Just express your desire. I got to have you, Jesus. I gotta have you. And I just want I know you've gone after me, but I'm going after you. I've gotta have you. I'm caught up in this hole. I can't live without what you have for me. I can't be satisfied without what you have for me. I'm not going to worry about my reputation. I'm not going to worry about people's perception of me. I'm not going to worry about my self-image. I'm going to make up my mind. I've got to get what you have for me. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Oh God, let that same hunger that was awakened in Paul be awakened in somebody here today. 
Let that same desire that was stirred in Paul be stirred in us today. It may not be easy. It may not be comfortable. It may not be convenient. But I've got to have what you have for me, Jesus. I gotta get it. I gotta get it. I gotta get it. I may feel foolish trying to get it. I may feel silly going after it. But I gotta get what you have. I can't live without it. I can't survive without it. It's not a luxury. It's not an extra. It's a necessity. not just something that's nice if it's added in my life but if I don't get it oh well it's something I gotta have I gotta have you God I gotta have what you have for me is there anybody like Jacob today is there anybody that'll be like Jacob God you started this but I'm not gonna let you finish until you do all that you can do Lord, you started this wrestling match, but I'm not letting go until you bless me. I'm not letting go until you heal me. I'm not letting go until you change me. I'm not letting go until you deliver me, God. Jesus, you don't In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I just want you. And I just want you. Nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else will do. Nothing else will do but you, Jesus. Nothing else can satisfy me but you, Jesus. Nothing else can fulfill me but you, Jesus. Nothing else can do for me what I need but you, Jesus. Somebody needs to tell him today. Somebody needs to tell him that today. Nothing else will do, Jesus. Nothing else but you will do. Nothing else but you can satisfy. Nothing else but you can help me. Nothing else but you can heal me. I want you. 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 I got to have you. I don't just want you. I need you. I don't just want you. I need you. I got to have it. I can't live without you. I won't be satisfied without you, Jesus. I won't be satisfied without you, Jesus. Nothing else. Nothing else. I'm going to apprehend. I'm going to go after what has gone after me. Nothing else. Nothing else. I gotta have you, Jesus. I gotta have you, Jesus. 
I can't make it without you. I can't live without you. that can replace you nothing in my life. I want you. Nothing else. I want you, Lord. I just want oh, hallelujah. Nothing else. Nothing else. Hallelujah. Nothing else will do. There's a lot of folks I that are still praying, but if you want to go or need to go, you're welcome to whenever you want to. You don't have to, especially if God is still drawing you and still ministering to you. Oh, nothing. Nothing else. I won't be satisfied with anything else. I can't be content with anything else but you. I've got to have you. i got to have you, Jesus. I've got to have you, Jesus. Nothing else will do. I just want you. Nothing In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I want you, I want you, 
you, Jesus. Nothing else. I want you, Jesus. Nothing else will do. Hallelujah. I just. 